the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tomorrow we acknowledge and commemorate Good Friday, the day our Savior was crucified, the day he purchased us. On Sunday, we celebrate the confirmation of that purchase with an empty tomb. This week, we are celebrating Easter. Join us. Way of Grace is next. Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the Passion Week. We have a variety of names for this whole week and what it is we are celebrating and why. And that is the focus this week here on Way of Grace as Pastor Jesse Gastan takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. We're looking at the risen Lord testified, and this is all about the gospel. His death, burial, and resurrection, and why it is so important for us as believers to acknowledge today, and not just this week, but every day of every week of every year. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Christ died for our sins. What is that? Four subpoints. He died for our sins as a sinless substitute. He died for our sins as a sinless substitute. He died for our sins as a righteous redeemer. Did he not? He died for our sins as a sanctifying surety. And then he died for our sins as Jehovah's justification. Is that good? Is that good? See, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. What do you mean, pastor? Christ died for our sins as the sinner's substitute. He didn't just die. And he did not die what we would call a kind of representative or demonstrative death. He died as the sinner's substitute. I love it. I love it. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. You've heard it before. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do y'all see that verse? There's a world of truth in that and we've dealt with it before. God made him who knew no sin, the righteous, spotless son of God, to become sin for us. Now, here is where a great deal of argument is merited to occur, particularly in this generation where people are arguing that Christ is a kind of almost savior. That his death on the cross almost accomplished eternal redemption or almost saved us. In other words, he died for everybody, but until you receive him, his death doesn't merit you anything. Please hear me. When the scripture says he died for our sins, the reason it's good news is because he actually died for our sins. Isn't that right? 
As those of us who know a little bit about the Bible, we know this. Justice cannot twice demand, not at my Savior's hand and then again at mine. If he died for my sins, then my sins died in him. Isn't that good? If he died for my sins, then my sins are dead. And I'm dead with my sins in him. If he died as my substitute. If he was, in fact, what he is declared in the word of God to be, Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. Watch it. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. Watch it now. Here we're looking once again at that silent lamb that we saw on Friday, right? As he stood before his shearers, opening not his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Why did he die? He died for my sins. Did he die for yours? Listen to the language. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's me, Lord. And the Lord hath laid on him all my iniquity. And when every one of God's sheep who have gone astray recognize Christ as the sinner's substitute, they will say what I just said. The Lord laid on him not some of my sin, not most of my sin, all of my sin. And when every sheep from the beginning of time to the end of time say, the Lord laid on him all my sin, then will come to pass this text. He laid on him all our sins. See it? All the sins of all the sheep who had went astray were laid on him. This is what we call the sinner's substitute, a sinless substitute. He's also a righteous redeemer, a righteous redeemer. This is why we say in 1 Corinthians chapter 130, I could go through a ton of verses, don't want to do it. What I'm doing here is demonstrating that Christ died for our sins according to certain characteristics and offices for which he was endowed in order to do it appropriately. So he dies for our sin as a sinner substitute. Watch this. That means my sins were put on him. But it also means that his death for my sins made him my redeemer. He now is able to purchase me. Am I making some sense? He died for my sins in order to put my sins away in order to purchase me. First Corinthians chapter 130 tells me this is what Christ has been made to me. Now, if you believe the gospel, this is what he's been made to you too. Watch it. But of God, am I in Christ? When people ask you, how is it that you got in Christ? Tell them, God put me in Christ. I didn't put me in Christ. You didn't put you in Christ. The father put me in the son before the world began. And then let me know it in the preaching of the gospel that before the world began, he had loved me with an everlasting love and he would draw me with cords of a man. He would draw me according to loving kindness in the preaching of the gospel. Did he do it for you? Did he show you that the man hanging on the cross was really you hanging on the cross in that man? If he did, then he's also showing you your redeemer. Because this is what Christ has made to us when the gospel's preached clearly. But of God are you in Christ, who of God, being the second person of the Godhead, is made unto us. Four cardinal doctrinal realities. Here it is. Watch this now. First, he's made unto us wisdom. Is Christ the wisdom of God? No greater wisdom in the world than the gospel. 
And then he's made unto us what? Righteousness. We just learned that, right? As a sinner substitute, our sins were placed on him and his righteousness was placed on us. We become the very righteousness of God in him. Is Christ our righteousness? He's our standing. And God views me as just as righteous as Christ is when I'm in Christ. That's good news. Right, now watch this. And then he's my sanctification. You see it? But he's also my what? Redemption. Doctrinal truth that one must work through and understand. It's a blessed, blessed thing. You and I were on the slave block of sin. We were slaves of Satan. We were servants of hell. And the price to redeem you from that wretched condition was hell itself. And the son of the living God paid the price of hell itself to snatch you up out of hell, to make you a captive of Christ. He led captivity captive. Can you see it? You were on the slave block of sin, damnation, and hell, and Christ came and paid for you. He's your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, my redeemer. He paid for you. He owns you. That's what it means that Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins as a sinless substitute. He died for our sins as a righteous redeemer. But he also died for our sins as a sanctifying surety. Thank you, Lord. This gets closer to home. See, because objectively as a righteous substitute, he could pay for me and I have no experience with it. Objectively. He could even redeem me and I really not know it. In that He's already paid the price. I'm really free. Don't know it. But when it comes to sanctifying surety, his death was designed to have an impact on my life in an immediate and an impactful way in my conscience and in my heart by the sprinkling of blood. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Now watch what this says, saints. Now this comes after Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. We talked about that on Friday. Sacrifices and offerings you would not, a body you have given me. For what? Justification. For what? Substitution. For the atoning work accomplished at the cross on Friday. But look at verse 9. It says, okay, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. What? The new covenant. Look at verse 11. Watch how it works. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering oft time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. Hebrews 10, verse 12. But this man, after that he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. The Hebrew writer makes it clear that Christ offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice. What did he do with it? He sat down at the right hand of God. Now look at the efficacy and impact of it in verse 13. Look at verse 13. From henceforth expecting till his enemies would be made his footstool. Verse 14. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That one offering on the cross, that one shedding of his blood, not only justified you, but it sanctified you. It became the grounds upon which he gets to send the Holy Spirit into your life and mine. And by the sprinkling of the blood, by that proverbial hyssop, purge your conscience from dead works that you and I might serve the true and the living God. And his blood avails, doesn't it? 
What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm sanctified by his death. I'm justified by his death. This is what is meant by he, that is Christ, died for our sins. And finally, he's Jehovah's justification. Don't ever forget it. Isaiah 54, 7. You've heard it quoted before, but hear it again. Isaiah 54, 7. Here's what God says, and he's uh, 17, I'm sorry. Here's what God says concerning the people of God. And I know we've heard this verse 54, 17, many times in a kind of uh, Pentecostal setting. You know that, right? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. But please understand, every time you read that verse from here on out, it can never be separated from what Christ went through on the cross for your sins. Here, God views the weapons formed against you as weapons that are designed to send you to hell. The weapons formed against you are weapons in the hand of the devil. Weapons in the hand of demonic entities and demonic powers. Weapons in the hand of this whole world system designed to allure you and deceive you and tempt you and turn you away from Christ. God sees this as a war. We're learning about this in the Revelation, aren't we? Worship and what? Warfare. Hell wants to send you to hell with it. That's the weapon waged against you, child of God. And your soul feels it. You know, some days when we're not really walking in the armor of God like we ought to. And the powers of hell assault us on every side. And our conscience is vexed by our weakness and temptation. Anybody following what I'm saying? And we go, whoa, Lord, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm messed up today. I'm not right today. And then when we assess it, what it is, is that our minds have been taken off the Lord Jesus Christ and our affections and our heart has been distracted by carnal things. And the enemy has taken an opportunity to try to draw nets to cause us to slip and pierce us with darts and arrows. And some days we are just a raggedy mess. Just a raggedy mess. And yet, you know what God says? No weapon formed against you will prosper. (laughs) Isn't that good? Well, what are you talking about, Lord? I'm falling, I'm stumbling, I'm crying, I'm messing up. And the Lord says, yes, I know. And you're confessing, aren't you? You're acknowledging that, aren't you? You're recognizing that you're weak. You're recognizing that you're vulnerable. You're recognizing that you're inclined, prone to wonder. You're telling the truth. That's what my children do. That's what my children do. My children tell the truth. Do you see how nothing the enemy can do will do anything but advance God's good in your life? It don't feel good when it's happening. I don't like falling. I don't like being weak. I don't like being sinful. I don't like thinking bad thoughts. I don't like being tripped up. I don't like the pain and grief and burden of just being simultaneously sinful and righteous. At the same time, I want to be all righteous. I want to think right thoughts all the time. I do. I hate vain thoughts. I hate what I go through. I mean, I hate it with a passion. Lord, why do I have to be such a fool? Sometimes. Such a fool sometimes. And you know what he says? Three words. It's 
paid for. It's paid for. Just that simple. It's paid for. Now see, that, that, you got to have faith to believe that. And here's the thing about that kind of faith. All God wants you to do with that kind of faith is wait. You know what I'm saying? Faith can wait for the recovery of grace to bring you up out of the stupefying events of your fallenness. Because see, while you're still going through the, the waves and the, 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 toma, the trauma, it's hard to believe it's paid for. But then when you find yourself back on solid ground, with your mind right back on the Lord Jesus and thinking his thoughts after him and loving on God and crying for your sins and crying out, Abba, Father, you know what? You go, yes, I was paid for. I was paid for. This is what we mean by a sanctifying Savior. By one sacrifice has he forever perfected those that are sanctified. See, that's good news. That's good news. That's good news. Put me over in the category of the perfected. Put me over in the category of the perfected. Because see, I know God can't lie. He can't change. He won't fail. If he started it, he'll finish it. This is what we mean by Christ died for our sins. I know somebody out there is happy right now. You ought to be. You ought to be. You ought to be the gospel scripturally testified to. Christ died for our sins as a sinless substitute, a righteous redeemer, a sanctifying surety, and Jehovah's justification. Listen to it. Don't ever forget it. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, not only will it be condemned, you'll condemn it. (sighs) Do you see that? You will condemn it. You will condemn it. Pastor, how will I condemn it? You will simply confess what God confesses. Christ died for our sins. That's how you condemn it. Christ died for my sins. What about your sins, preacher? Christ died for my sins. What about your sinfulness, preacher? Christ died for my sinfulness. What makes you accepted before God? Christ died for my sins. What makes you think you will stand before God in glory? Christ died for my sins. He died for my sins. That will condemn every devil in hell. Every demon in the hordes of hell. Guess what, demons? Christ died for my sins. God gave me that. That's the language of his children. I didn't used to talk like that. I used to talk like devils long ago. But now, by the grace of God, I can open my mouth. See, all I need is five words. Christ died for my sin. Isn't that good? That's the first part of the Decalogue, right? And then he rose again. That's the other part of the Decalogue. Raise your hands high and tell him that he died and that he rose again. See? It's so true. One more verse, Romans chapter four, verse. Oh, let me read the rest of this verse because you just need to have it in your hearing for the babies out there. 
No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. I'll tell you, I have to work a little bit more on that because that's just absolutely astonishing. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is not just from me, it's of me. Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. And because I'm in you and you are in me, I am the very righteousness of God in him. And God tells me it's going to be all right. He tells me it's going to be all right. But what are the grounds upon which it's going to be all right? Christ died and we believe all that. But what makes this certain? What makes it sure? What makes this really the case? Let's go back to our text and wrap it up here. What makes it really the case is what the Apostle Paul is about to say next. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that also which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I love it. Thank you, Paul. He knew that by the time this message would get to us some almost 2,000 years ago, that that testimony would have to be codified in a book. We believe in traditions. We all have them, but you need a book. You need a book with black letters on white pages that don't ever change. And so what the Apostle Paul says here under our fourth point, he rose again the third day. Look at verse four. And that he was buried and that he rose again, what? The third day. The third day. Didn't we learn about that, saints? The first day he was crucified. The second day he rested in the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. On Friday, he was crucified. On Saturday, he rested in the grave. On Sunday, which was the third day, the third day. And watch this now. This is the way the whole New Testament expresses it. He rose again the third day. The third day. That's the way they say it all through the Gospels, all through the book of Acts. Will you hear me, child of God? The third day. The third day. They don't go the first day of the week. They don't go Sunday. They go the third day. First day died, second day rested, third day rose again from the dead out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. That's the way they put it. Beautiful truth really to be resonated on and dealt with. So under point number five, day one, Friday, crucified, dead and buried. Day two, Saturday, what? Resting in the grave. Jesus is our rest. Sunday, risen and what? Sing. Risen and seen. This is the beauty of it. Point number six. Here we go. The gospel seen by many. Here's how the apostle puts it over in verse five. After saying in that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture, which you and I could look at all kind of scripture to affirm that. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Some are fallen and some are asleep. After that, he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. Uh, seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due season. Ladies and gentlemen, what this is, is the apostolic testimony of the resurrection of Christ. I want you to just grasp it. We're done here. Just want you to grasp it. Each line is worthy of its own study and merit. 
But this language was given to us in Acts chapter 10. This is the way Peter preached it. This is also given to us in Acts chapter 13. Paul preached it this way again, the apostolic testimony. Because the apostles had to be men who were qualified to have seen Jesus before his resurrection and after his resurrection, with the exception of Paul, after his resurrection, to testify to the fact that he literally bodily rose from the dead. See, we are confirming the bodily resurrection of Christ. Now, I just want you to reason through with me on this argument, this apostolic argument. Look again at uh, point number six. Paul says, after that he rose again from the third day, he was seen of Cephas. This goes to show you the empathy and the pastoral nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's a great high priest and he has absolute passion for all of his people and he know all of his sheep intimately. We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe, worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510-886-886. 9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.